My name is uh, Stan Johnson. I'm the uh, associate head coach here at Marquette. Been here for three years. Why I got into coaching, you know, I just, I felt led. You know, coaching is a calling. It's a lifestyle. Um, it's not something you just do because it looks fun. It's something that you do because you're called to do it. You know, I felt like God called me to, to use this as my ministry. You know, for me, uh, being a coach is about developing the whole person. You know, developing the whole person doesn't mean that I myself, you know, that I'm perfect, I'm not. You know, I think uh, for me is, is hopefully helping these young guys maybe escape some of, some of my shortcomings, some of the things I saw maybe in my life growing up, uh, some of the experiences I had as a player, uh, but more importantly, uh, some of the things I've experienced and I've seen as a person. And I always say, better people make better players. But for me, the most important thing is the time with our guys. And that time could be spent with them seeing me and being a part of my family at my house. Uh, you guys have seen at Life Church. I, as always, every Sunday, an open invitation to come to church with me. And sometimes I have to maybe bribe them with a little lunch after. But, uh, you know, those are, those are areas I really try to spend time with. Uh, by bringing them in the home, uh, going to church, having them have a relationship with you that's outside of just the game of basketball. Uh, my name is Marcus Howard. I'm point guard at Marquette University. The thing I respect most about Stan is just um, just how he treats his family. I mean, he's a family guy. Um, just the way he walks in his faith each and every day. I mean, you see it when you walk. He walks in the office. He brings that life and energy to everybody in the room. So um, just seeing how he is towards others, how selfless he is, um, it's really something I look up to him for, and um, I have for the longest time I've known him. So. Well, I think, you know, it's, it's important. I don't care what career you're in uh, to hopefully, um, you know, try to live a life that people will wonder, man, why is he or she like that? You know, sometimes it's not always what you say. You know, it's, it's what you do. And much like recruiting, I tell people and recruits all the time, don't watch what I'm telling you, watch what I'm doing. Um, I follow Stan just uh, based off his conviction as a, as a man and just um, the way he, like, how, like I said before, just his faith. I mean, that's a big part of me. Um, how I grew up, um, being being born in the church, and really just been implemented with uh, the importance of God, being uh, God being first, and so um, I see that in him as well as his family. So um, just seeing that reminds me a lot of uh, how I was raised, and just um, seeing a lot of similarities in that is my main reason why I follow Stan. You know, sometimes when you think about your career, you think about the end, and you know I don't know if I'm there yet, but I, I sure hope. When it's all over, they'll say, you know what? He told me about God. And he gave us an opportunity. Because I think, you know, at the end of the day, that's, it's really that's all gonna matter. God's not gonna ask me or say, man, you were a great coach. You know, I think the question will be, how many people did you help bring closer to me? That's heavy. And that's a tough task, especially in what we do. Uh, but I hope that'll be something they say. Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. Matthew, chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen in a few minutes when we get there. 
But uh, I love what Stan said. It's not about the player. It's about the person. Because better people, a better person makes a better player. And he's right. When you get to heaven, God's not going to ask him how many championships he won or how many titles that he accumulated. Or He's going to ask him what he did with those individuals that he put under his care and leadership as a coach. Because just as I'm called to pastor, just as you're called to your vocation and your area, just as Stan is called to coach, we're all called to live this life and to do this unto the glory of God. And, and it all involves people. That's the amazing thing. Have you ever looked at that? Sometimes you, especially for those of you that are introverts, you would really like to just kind of cut that part of it out. But it's people. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about church, whether you're talking about business, whether you're talking about family, whether you're talking about your neighborhood, talking about friends. It's all about people. At the end of the day, it's all about people. And I'm going to kind of give you uh, kind of a, an opening statement today. Because what we're talking about today, the game changer we're talking about today is people. Here's a statement. We were created for relationships, not just achievement. We were created, God created you and I for relationships, not just achievement. We are, we were, we have been created for relationships, not just achievement. It's very easy in the world in which we live in to think that it's about me getting from here to there or it's accomplishing X, Y, Z. But the reality is it's about people. It's about relationships. And, and, and that's truly the only thing that really gets to eternity. Our stuff doesn't get to eternity. Our trophies don't get to eternity. Our accolades don't get to eternity. Our, our, our degrees or diplomas don't get to eternity. Our money doesn't make it to eternity. The only thing that gets into eternity is people. And that's the most important thing. And you may go, well, how is that a game changer? How is that a momentum changer? Because here's the deal is, when we leave here today, we're going to deal with people. Tomorrow we're going to deal with people. Whether you go to Mitchell International to catch a flight, uh, to go to do business, you're going to interact with people. All different kinds of people at all different levels. From, from, from gate agents to TSA, God bless them, to uh, <laughs> security. But always, there's always something right here. It's like I'm fat, people. That's what it is. Just wand me right here in they touch me. Yeah. So uh, it's just whatever. It, it's, it's people. It's getting on the plane with people and all kinds of people. And, and whether you're going to the rental car counter to get a car, it's people. Or whether you're driving uh, down the expressway and, and, and figuring out this week they decided to shut this exit down. Great. And, and, and it's people. And, and you're going to your office or to your factory. It's people. You go to your high school or your middle school. It's people. You, you're interacting with coaches and with fellow players. It's people. Whatever we do, wherever we go, it's people. And sometimes we can look at people as objects in order to help us achieve what we want to achieve. We can shroud that and, well, God told me to do this, and so these are just steps in order to get where I want to go. Uh, we can look at them as obstacles, quite frankly, of get out of my way. And I'm sure nobody in this room, myself included, has ever done that, right? Get Move over. Why, why is there always a Buick? with Wisconsin tags and left-hand lane. Just tell me, going 50 miles an hour, right? <laughs> Promise you, every time you're coming from Chicago, that slow, and there's always a Wisconsin tag view I can left. And we'll, we'll just move over. We can look at them as obstacles, what, whatever, instead of realizing these are people. And the game changes, it's people. And if a Division I coach can look at these as not an end to a means, but rather people that God has brought into his life, that he is to impact for eternity. How much more can you and I look at family members, coworkers, neighbors, 
church members, brothers and sisters in Christ, that God created us for relationship, not for achievement. And we see this demonstrated in the life of Christ. Jesus does this over and over and over again. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus' role, his job, his achievement was to save the world. So if anybody had an excuse just to kind of bulldoze through people, just to kind of push through the crowd, just to kind of, because his agenda had to be met, would be Jesus. I mean, think about it. Like, he could have very easily looked at people and goes, I'm sorry, I don't have time for that. I'm here to save the world. Because that's what I would have done, right? I don't have time to feed the 5,000. You people should have thought about this before you came here. That's what's wrong with you skinny people. You don't think about food until it's too late. That's why you're skinny. People like me, I'm not going to go hungry. And so, sorry, you know, I'm here to save the world. I mean, people that are, are yelling out at him along the streets that are wanting him to heal them. He could have looked at blind Bartimaeus and just said, sorry, man, I, I have an agenda. I got, I got people to meet, and I got, I got deals to make, and I've got things I've got to do. I've got to check off a few things. There's a few messianic prophecies from the Old Testament. It's not going to make sense to you, but I've got to do this because there's going to be people that are going to live, and they're going to have to. I've got to meet a couple of quotas today, a couple of, of agenda items today. I've got to fulfill some of the Old Testament today. Sorry, it's a little bit important. But you don't see that with Christ. Unless he dies on the cross, goes to the grave, and is raised again, he doesn't meet mission. He doesn't meet his objective. It's a failed attempt. Those three things have to happen. He has to die on the cross. He's got to be dead, and he's got to come back to life. That's what makes him Jesus. That's what makes him the Savior of the world. That's his job. But, but he didn't put his perspective, he didn't put his, excuse me, his focus on the achievement of dying on the cross, going to death, hell, and the grave, and emerging victorious three days later. He puts his focus, what, on the cross? No, on people. Every time. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He stops. He walks. He talks. He gets 12 men, one of which completely sell him out and backstab and betray him, and he brings them in to him. And he spends his life with them. The throngs and the people, they all come in after him. And they press against him and he loves them. He weeps over them. He cries over them. On his way from one place to another, we see that this woman with an issue of blood reaches out and touches him. And he stops. He says, somebody touch me. And the disciples, if you read it, if you really read it the way they say it, they go, no joke, Sherlock. There's a lot of people here, Jesus. A lot of people touched you. Let's move on. We've, we've got things to do. The disciples were always about the things to do. And the people were always obstacles. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. You don't understand virtue flowed from me. Somebody touched me. Who was it? We need to minister to that person. Over and over and over. He interrupts his own plan. He interrupts his own agenda. Why? Because of people. He always stops for people. He never pulls back from people. And we see this in Matthew's gospel chapter 9. And here's what's interesting. Matthew is going to write about his own conversion to Christ. Matthew is going to get to tell his own story. Because this person in Matthew chapter 9 is the man who writes the book of Matthew. Not only is he a disciple of Christ, not only has he come from a pretty unscrupulous business and lack of integral background, but his life has changed because of Jesus, and he will write the words that we're about to read today. Check this out. This is his own record of his conversion. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. 
And Jesus went on from there. So he's got a busy agenda. If you kind of read the whole chapter, you see what he's doing. And he saw a man named Matthew. I'm going to come back to that. Sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Verse 10, and while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, again, food is spiritual. Amen. You skinny people get on my nerves. Okay. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Jesus ate. Amen. Hallelujah. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and with sinners? It's kind of this unscrupulous group of people. Verse 12, and on hearing this, Jesus said, is it not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick? The first thing we see with Jesus is that it's not about a program, it's about people. It's not about a program, it's about people. It's not about an agenda, it's not about a to-do list. People are not an object to get things done. They're not an obstacle to try to navigate. It's about people. Look at verse 9 again. And Jesus went from there, from where he was, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Jesus sees him. Matthew doesn't see Jesus. No, Matthew is busy doing his work. Matthew's busy doing his job. Matthew's busy spinning wheels and making deals. And understand, tax collectors in that day of time were not, well, they were less popular than they are today. And, and if you work for the IRS, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be mean. But, but, but I'm saying, like, it's not exactly a job that everybody really wants to, you don't want to get an audit from the IRS. You don't, you don't want to have a, a visit from your local tax collector. And in, and in this day and time, the tax collectors not only represented the government, but they also were skimming off the top and cheating the people. They were notorious for this. And everybody knew this. And so everybody kind of had their hand in the pot. And so tax collectors would have been the, this, you could have said like this, and he was the owner of the local strip club, or he was the lo, uh, he, he was a, a lo, uh, owner of a local tavern and was a drunk himself. You know, he was involved. He, he owned one of the biggest casinos in Vegas. I mean, that, that, it's this type of, you just don't think of that guy being at church on Sunday. That's, that's how you need to read that. That's what a tax collector was in the first century. He's Jewish by faith and by, by ethnicity, but, but he's not really practicing. And he's definitely not following the law. And... He was considered a sinner. He was considered an outcast. He was considered, and, and, and Jesus was a rabbi, and so rabbis had no interaction with people that were sinners. Whether they were of ethnic Jewish background or not, they, they distanced themselves from them. And so, so the reality is, is Jesus is going from where he is to where he's about to go, and he sees Matthew. He sees him, because that's exactly what happens. Nobody ever finds Jesus. Jesus finds you. Way before somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ, way before you invite somebody to the Ty Montgomery weekend, and they come, and they hear the message, and they hear the story, and then all of a sudden, they come, and they come to faith in Christ. They didn't find Jesus next weekend. Jesus found them a whole long time ago, and he's been drawing them and working with them, because he's all about people. It's not about his program. And Jesus is not about the program that day. He's about people. And he sees Matthew. And here's what I love about this. He doesn't see him as he is. He sees him as he can be. He doesn't see him as this unscrupulous businessman that's working in a very secular job market and, and, and himself is lost to all of that. He sees him as the man who will write his lineage the genealogy that's found in, Gen excuse me, in Matthew chapter 1. He will be the one that will write these 28 books that will begin the cornerstone, the foundation for the gospel message. He will be the one that will be a disciple. He will be the one that will take the gospel message to far-flung parts of the world. He will be the one that will revolutionize the world in which he lives in. He doesn't see him as a sinner. He sees him as a saint. 
And the problem is many times we're so busy with our program that we don't see people as they can be. We see them as they are. And that's never how God sees us. That's never how God sees you. It's never how he sees me. He sees us as the victor and the champion that he created us to be. And he calls that out in us. What does Jesus do? He says, I want you to come and follow me. I want you to come and follow me. He doesn't shout to him from across the road. He doesn't send a letter or an email or a text. He doesn't send one of the other disciples to say, hey, Jesus would like to have a meeting, a conversation, a coffee, and maybe that will lead to an opportunity that you could be a part of the 12. No. He goes right to him. And we look at that, the tax collector's booth, and we kind of think it's like, you know, like Charlie Brown. Lucy has a little kissing booth, kind of a little booth. Let's say we kind of like a little fair, like a little booth. He's just collecting taxes. No, it's his business. It's a storefront. It's his brick and mortar. And the Bible says that in that interchange, I can't imagine how powerful that would be. Could you imagine if Jesus Christ showed up in the flesh and called you by name and stopped everything he was doing, and you were in the middle of your work, and you looked up, and there was Jesus, and he called you, and he said, Aaron, I want you to come and follow me. It was so powerful for Matthew that he leaves his business. And we read it as Christians. Well, God, yeah, that would just be crazy. No, 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 no. You're brick and mortar. You're making $200 million a year. You're, you're managing a portfolio of, three, of $300 million a year. And your local Edward Jones, your local little accounting service, and, and you're a CPA and you've gone to school and you've got the plaques on the wall and you're a member of this society and that society. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and says, I want you to leave all of this. I have nothing in this world to give you. And I want you to follow me. And you go, okay, great. And you don't try to sell the business. You don't pass the business on. You just simply leave. That's radical, isn't it? But that's what happened. Don't, don't sanitize the gospel to, so that it rationalizes, so that it makes your whole, whole heart feel better. There are times where Jesus comes in and he asks of us, I want you to walk across the street and I want you to do this. I want you to walk across the coffee shop and I want you to share this. I want you to see a need and I want you to meet it. And you go, that's radical. It's crazy. Yeah, that's what it means to follow Jesus. If you're looking for Jesus to be an add-on and a comfortable place, I don't know where in the world we get this. He's not. He's not some upgrade in your life. And if that's what you're sitting on the church pew to do, hoping to ride the pines, you get to heaven at some point in time. You're missing the point. To follow Christ means that you give up everything to follow him. Everything. What you have, what you don't have, what you hope to be. Everything to follow him. And Matthew goes and he does exactly that. Why? Because at the end of the day, it's not about the program. It's about people. And he gets up and he follows him. It's a game changer. Jesus wasn't on the program. He was about people. We read, we read on, and it's not about a process. It's about people. It's not about a process. It's about people. See, you have to understand, again, these religious leaders of the day, these Pharisees, they had a protocol according to the Old Testament, according to the law of how they had to do things. There were, certain, there were certain things that the law, basically it was like, hey, the law says you can't do this. And so then they would go this far in order to protect themselves from the law. So there were man-made laws, which is what we would call legalism, that protect the God laws. So I, 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 I can't kill someone, therefore I should never ever be around something that is even where somebody raises their voice or, you know, whatever, contention. I, I, I can't... I can't 
You know, I'm supposed to tithe according to the law. Therefore, everything I do, even if you give me spices, even if you give me a gift, even if you give me, I've got to figure out how to get 10% out of that plaque that you just gave me and actually give it back to the church. It was crazy. It was these buffers that they created. There was man-made laws in the way they did things. These man-made laws is what made them very inapproachable and made it very difficult to even follow. And so they had all these rules and regulations. And one of them was this, that because they viewed sin as a, as a religiously transmitted disease, they would keep themselves away from sinners. So they would walk on the opposite side of the street. If they saw people of irrepute, they saw sinners, they saw people who currently weren't serving God, they would literally go to the opposite side of the street. If they walked into a room and they were there, they would leave. And there were certain places for them to be able to go and be just so that they could protect themselves from people who were sinners. And the synagogue was one of those places because the synagogue, you had to meet, like you couldn't be physically maimed and go into the inner courts of the synagogue. If you had a handicap or a disability, you weren't allowed in. Men were allowed to places that women were not allowed to. Um... There were just certain, there were all of these rules and restrictions. There were all of this separation. There was all of this. And one of the things is, is where they ate and who they ate with. So the smaller the table, the more exclusive the company, the more important that they were viewed. The larger the table and the more common the people that sat around the table, the least the value was of the people that sat at that table. This is what freaked them out about Jesus. In Luke's gospel, there's almost two dozen times where Jesus is, is, is recorded. He's eating at the table. He's reclining at the table. He's going to the table. He's leaving the table. It's around the table. I'm telling you, Jesus ate a lot. That's why I love Jesus. <laughs> He's constantly in this rhythm, in this pattern. And we find that when, when Matthew comes to faith in Christ, this is what I love about people that are far away from God. They, when they encounter Jesus, they bring everybody they know to Jesus. And Matthew basically throws a party at his house. Don't sanitize it. Jesus never involved himself in the sin. Jesus never participated in the sin. Jesus didn't permit the sin. But he loved the sinner. And so Jesus goes to dinner at this tax collector's house who's just a new convert. And he's sitting there with sinners with people of bad reputations, with people of bad business acumen, with people of, of, of all types of checkered backgrounds and past, and they're eating at the table, and they're talking at the table. And I'm sure there's music playing in the background, and it's, it's not, you know, the top 101 hymns of the church. And there's things that are happening, and sinners are doing what sinners do, and Jesus is there in the middle, and these religious leaders see him and go, Jesus is not meeting protocol of what a rabbi should do. Jesus is, is, Jesus is evading the process. He wasn't breaking God's laws. He was breaking man's laws that were trying to protect God's laws. And they, they couldn't process through this because he was very unconventional in how he does this. But Jesus basically responds to them and says, look, man, your systems cannot impede people. It's not about systems. It's about people. And when systems don't serve people, they need to be taken out. They're no longer any good. Because the system is there to serve the people, not the people there to be a slave to the system. That's what religion does. Religion makes you and I slave to the system. Jesus goes, no, 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 it's about relationship. Relationship has nothing to do with the system. Relationship has to do with you. Because God didn't come to save a religious system. God didn't come to build steeples and stained glass. God didn't come to build church buildings. God didn't come to, to, to raise money for capital campaigns. God came for people. 
Red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in the sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And he loves the ugly adults too, amen? Thank God for that. Let's sing about that. We don't sing that. It doesn't work real well. But it's true. And he loves people that are sinners. And he loves people that are holy. And he loves people that are unrighteous. He loves people that are righteous. He loves people that love his agenda. And he loves people that are against his agenda. He loves people that are inside the church. He loves people that are outside the church. Thank God for that. And we see this with Jesus is that he comes there and he sits there and he eats with them. Why? Because people are more important than the process. Don't ever forget that. Have you ever been to a business where you go, this doesn't make any sense? Like your process is actually keeping me from buying your product. Your process is actually impeding me from being able to get what you are trying to sell me. Your process. You're so focused on the process. I'll never forget going and trying to check a bag. And I was trying to, I was going to Sri Lanka and I'm trying to check a bag actually here in Mitchell. And I was, so I was really on my best behavior because I, I live in the city. And so, and so I said, look, I need you to kind of interlink this bag is what they call that from this carrier to that carrier. I know six months ago you had a, you had a, had a uh, they were a co-share agreement between your, this airlines and that airlines. And today that's not there, but I know that it has the ability to do it because I have a friend of mine who just flew from a different city and we're connecting in Singapore and you have the ability to do this because they just did this for him without any problem. This lady behind the counter, God bless her heart, she must have been having a really, really, really rough time. And I was bent and determined. I was going to smile the whole time. I was never going to raise my voice. I was just going to keep repeating myself and just be really nice and just kind of keep this level of, hey, how are you? And not go, ah. And so she keeps going through the rhetoric of, of I can't do this because this rules and this rule and this rule and this rule. And, blah, 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 blah. and I said, I understand that, man, but I'm asking, can you help me? But I can't help you because of this rule and this rule. And it was like, okay, can I see someone? Can I talk to your manager? You want to talk to my manager so you can break the rules? No, ma'am. I, I just, I'm seeing if I can get some help because I know it's doable. It's just, it's within your power. Can you help me? She couldn't get that. And so the manager comes out. He never looks at me. And she is in his ear the whole time. This customer, all he wants to do is violate the rules. And I've told him what the rules are. And I've told him what the system is. I've told him how this is. But he didn't care about this. He doesn't care about me. He didn't care about this. I didn't care about this airline. And I'm thinking, no, I really don't. But anyhow, and so she's just going, and he never looks at me. He's on the keyboard and he's doing all this. And he goes, thank you, Mr. Cole. Well, we'll take care of you. You pick up your bags in Colombo, Sri Lanka. And I said, thank you. And I walked away. She was livid. I smiled the whole time, just kept walking. Here's my point. She was hung up on the system. It was in her power to be able to do it, but it, but, 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 but it, but it meant that the system had to be somewhat jumped or moved around. And, and so what the manager understood is that the person on the other side of the counter that was actually paying for that ticket was simply asking to do something that was outside the system but could have been done for that, for that individual. And the, pa and the person on the other side of the counter is actually paying for the ticket. Therefore, he's actually paying to help him with our jobs. That's, that, let's help him if we can. She couldn't, she couldn't see that because the system was above the people. That's what happens when religion comes in. Jesus goes, no, 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 it's the other way around. It's about people. At your work, it's not about your widgets that you're trying to build and sell. It's about people. At the church, it's not about what we're trying to produce on a weekend service. It's about people. Who cares if the lights work? It's important. I get it, excellence and all that kind of stuff. And trust me, I'm, I'm very type A like that. But if... The Spirit of God isn't here, and if God isn't touching lives, and if people aren't coming to faith in Christ, what are we doing? We're just a, we're a spiritual country club. And what value is that? We might as well all go to Cracker Barrel and have biscuits and gravy, and that's not a good idea right now. I'm very hungry. But I'm just saying, like, what, what? Jesus goes, no, no, it's about people. It's not about the process. And the last thing that we see here is that it's a, not about a person. It's about people. It's not about, I know this sounds confusing, but it makes sense. It's not about a person. It's about people. 
In verse 12, and on hearing this, Jesus said, is it not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick? Jesus is saying this, and we see this in his life. It's not about me. I'm healthy. It's about the sick. It's not about you, religious leader. It's about the people, the sinner that are sitting at that table. God didn't just come for you. He came for all of humanity. God didn't just come to save me. He came to save everyone. Jesus is saying, look, this is not about me. My agenda is to seek and save that which is lost. My agenda is to go to to die on the cross for the religious and the unreligious, for the saved and the unsaved, for the spiritual, for the unspiritual, for the sinner and for the saint. That's what I'm here to do. But the reality is, is me going to the cross is null and void if people aren't experiencing salvation. If the gospel message of Jesus Christ doesn't go out, that God loves us so much that he sends one only son to save the world. If no one hears that message, ignorance doesn't save humanity. Never. Read Romans chapter 1. We are without excuse, the Bible says. The only thing that saves you and saves me is an understanding that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man gets to the Father but through the Son. That's it. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, I will be saved. That's how I get saved. That's how I get in right relationship. So unless it doesn't matter that Jesus goes to die on the cross and goes to, and to death and that he raises again and he's the Savior of the world, unless you know the truth of the message. And how are you going to know the truth of the message? By a coach like Stan who looks at a player and goes, I look beyond the player and I see the person. Because there's ultimately an eternity. It's about the CEO that looks beyond on the profits and goes, there's more than just millions or billions of dollars of profits at stake. There's lives that are at stake. It's more than just a civil servant that's there for themselves. It's about seeing the people in which they are called to serve, not just today, but for eternity. That's what we see in Jesus. Jesus' ministry was all about the sinner. It was not about the saint. It was all about the lost and not about the found. Because he knew this. He knew this one thing. We will always take care of ourselves. It's our fleshly, human, selfish nature. I'm going to take care of me. Look, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to help feed as many people as I can, but I I promise you I won't miss any meals. I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to try to help as many people as I can, but I promise you I'm going to take a bath every day. I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to put clothes on. Amen. I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to take care of my family. But something that I always have to be reminded is that it's not about me. It's more than about a person. It's about people. The church isn't about me. It's about people. That being a pastor is not about the religious responsibility that I have unto God. But it's about the people that I'm called to serve. What does your ministry look like? Is your ministry to the healthy? Or is it to the sick? I decided, I just remember a long time ago, I, I, I grew up in church my whole life, and church people sometimes can really be very short-sighted on this. And, and I, I decided a long time ago that I was going to be about reaching lost people. Personally, I was going to invest relationally into people far away from the Lord, not in a weird way, but in a way that I, re, re, that I can stay connected with them. I never wanted to be a shepherd that didn't smell like sheep. Does that make sense? I'm called to be a shepherd as a pastor, and the Bible likens the, the body of Christ as unto sheep. And so I don't want to be a guy that doesn't have the smell of sheep on him. I don't want to be a pastor that is just 
that's a chaplain that's basically marrying you and burying you and taking care of you in between. No, 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 no. That's not what Jesus did. It was seek and save that which is lost. So Life Church is all about reaching lost people. Next weekend with Tom Montgomery, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about you having an opportunity to be able to see Tom Montgomery and meet him. It's about taking this invite card, praying over it, and as Jesus saw Matthew, for God to show you and for you to invite someone that you've invested in relationally so that they will come and they'll listen to a message from a guy that they've seen on their television, that they've followed in their fantasy football leagues, and he's done pretty well with that, and, and, and that they will then listen to that message and that, that, and that will be a fresh voice telling them that there's a God that loves them and that cares about them. Three years after Matthew will have this Matthew 9 encounter, he'll record Jesus' last words. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. For surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus says that all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ are called to all people around the corner and around the world. There's not one way or process that he prescribes. He just says go. But we are called to go. You, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not, this isn't for you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are to go and make disciples. Can you introduce me to the people that you've discipled? Most of the churches that I preach at in the international context, you have to either be in prison before you can be a member of that church because it's, it's against the law to, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you have to have X number of converts before they will allow you to even be in the church. That might be a good thing in America. How many people, let me ask you this, church person, how many people have you led to Jesus? And don't give me the cop out, that's not my gift, that's not my thing. How many people have you had the opportunity? How many people have you invited to a faith in Christ? I'm not even asking how many people you invited to Life Church. It's not about Life Church, it's about life change. It's about seeking and saving that which is lost. That's the greatest commission that we have. The greatest command that we have is love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength to love our neighbors, ourselves. And the greatest commission that we have, the greatest command that we have from our commander-in-chief is to go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are to be what Jesus was to Matthew. We are to see people right where they are and look beyond them as an obstacle and look beyond them as a point of achievement and see them in our workplace, in our neighborhood, at our school, wherever we are. And we are to invest in them and walk across the room and sit there. And if people make fun of, if people jeer, if people laugh at, if the religious community doesn't get it, it's okay. <laughs> because there's one day, there's one day when we'll stand before the Lord and the only thing that lasts is not our money. It's not your church attendance. It's not how many life groups you were in, how many Bible studies you're a part of. Nobody stinking cares. God doesn't care how many books of the Bible you memorized. He's going to ask you one thing. Who did you bring with you? Who did you bring with you? That's the greatest command. Who? Show me the people. Why? Because Jesus didn't die for Bible studies and for Christian books and for Christian bookstores. He didn't die for steeples and stained glass. He died for people. And next weekend, I'm telling you, I'm teeing you up. I'm setting you up. I'm giving you a primo opportunity next weekend to be able to bring people. This is the easiest thing in the world because they want to hear this guy talk. 
And I had dinner with them on Tuesday night in Green Bay. He and his wife, Remy, they're an incredible couple. Pastor Ryan and I were there and had dinner with them. And he and I sat and talked about the Bible. He, he's a brilliant guy. He's a Stanford grad. He's a great, great football player, built like a house. I think I'm a little better looking, but he's a little more beefier than I am. And we sat there and he goes, I said, is there anything on these lists of possible questions we could change? And he goes, I just want to talk about Jesus. If we could talk less about football and more about what God's doing. He said, I began to read in Genesis, and, and I've connected that. Then I went to Job, and I've connected the, the major prophets of the Old Testament back to how Jesus fulfills it in the New Testament. And he began to talk in the, theological uh, understandings and constructs that way most people that I'm interacting with at that level have a master's degree or an MDiv. And I said, we need to have you back for a men's Bible study. He goes, I like that. And he just kind of has this blank look like he's fixing to come across the table at me. I hope you're happy. Oh, no, no, it'd be great. It'd be great. What I'm trying to say to you is it's a real deal. Jesus has really done something in his life. This is the game changer. It's not about the play. It's not about the business. It's not about the church service. It's about people. It's about people.